0: You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome back to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs, and the first podcast of its kind. Today, we want to declare publicly that we love J Hill Marketing. They keep us on the air while they do the very cool job of helping people tell their stories with their book editing division bookmark. It's an amazing feat, and we are delighted to be connected to them and so fully supported through these three years we've been on, you guys. If you have a book that needs help, editing, proofing, developmental storytelling, head over to jhillmark.com. That's jhill Mark.com and check out their services. Tell them Sick Biz sent you. My guest today is one of those people you meet who leave a lasting impression on you. From the second I talked to Brian Will, I was astounded by his tenacity, fierce intelligence, innovation, and fortitude. Brian has been through the ringer his whole life and he never let it get him down. Now he's written a book detailing his come up and what he's overcome as well as what he's accomplished. And these are no small feats. He's got another book that he's working on. In addition to the one I'm going to tell you about, I'm telling you, this man doesn't stop. Brian has created or co-created six booming businesses in four industries, companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You want to talk about a person who was kicked while they were down? That's Brian. So listen up and find the inspiration within yourself to get up to. Because the common thread in Brian's stories is that he refused to stay down. He orchestrated ways to get on his feet and keep going. His book, which has the best title in the entire universe, I will say all the universes, even with all the aliens and all of that, the best title, I Give the Dumb Kids Hope, is immediately gripping. And I am so happy to have him here with me today to share his story so it can also help you. Please welcome the astounding Brian Wills.
1: Wow, that's a pretty amazing Uh, entrance there for me, Keller. I'm not sure I deserve all that, but thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I mean, it's all you. It's all truthful, (laughs) but you're so welcome, and it's my pleasure, and I'm just delighted that you're here today.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So let's get to know you. A little bit. I, I want our listeners to learn all about you, and I call this the elevator speech segment. And you know what? I think it it puts a little bit of pressure on you, but I know you can handle it.
1: Hmm. So, what would you like me to tell you?
0: Well, how did you get to today, for example? Not like uh, I was born on a Tuesday at eleven forty six, but how did you <laughs> how did you get here?
1: You know, I. Grew up in what if you read the book an abusive home uh, and and as I say in my book, a lot of kids that that grow up in these type of environments tend to go in one of a few different ways, some of them let it get them down, some of them end up doing nothing, and some of them use the the pain and the the issues they had as a child as fuel for whatever it is that they want to achieve in life I've read so many stories about artists and musicians and actors that grew up in in a, in a less than ideal house who took that, used it as fuel and went on to perform great things in life. And I think I would, you know, I fell into that category myself. So coming from a background where I was not a happy child, I had a terrible childhood all the way up until I became an adult. And I just had this one goal in mind and that was that I needed to succeed. And that success was my personal, it was my personal thing that I had to overcome as I learned later in life, it, it, it wasn't necessarily the people in my life that treated me badly that made me feel bad about myself, but it was me who felt bad about me, and I needed to succeed in life in order to overcome that personally. And I didn't realize that until I was probably in my 40s, by the way. Uh, Isn't but that, that something? That anger and that you know that 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 abusive childhood drove me like fuel on a fire, to to go and do things to push myself past what I thought I could accomplish to 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 keep going forward when everything says stop.
0: Do you Uh, think that you had a quality in you? So I've interviewed probably 100 people on this podcast so far. The quality that I'm finding and that a lot of people are talking about is that they were, and I guess we could call it they were dreamers or they just felt there was something better. They didn't have to settle. Do you think that describes you?
1: No, it was anger.
0: It was anger, yeah. And you talk about anger. you talk about the anger box that I
1: I was angry at at my parents, at my teachers, at my friends, at the world, the yeah. people I thought were making fun of me behind my back, the people who told me I couldn't do what you know anything in life but to be a truck driver. I was angry, and that anger is what pushed me because I had to prove them wrong.
0: Yeah, that's so great though cuz they did you a favor. I <laughs> just want to send them like some thank you cards. I just want to thank you. I just want You know, it's it's
1: funny. <laughs> I I did a couple of years of therapy when I went through my divorce and my my counselor once told me she said, "Yeah, I have a lot of high profile people and the one thing they tell me is don't mess with my anger because that's what makes me go."
0: That it, it is. It's it's interesting. So, even as you're working through your anger, and I am a fan of the belief that anger isn't really anger. Anger is grief and anger is outrage. I think it's kind of one of two things. There might be a third thing thrown in there, but I believe that anger, anger is cloaking a more vulnerable feeling. What do you think about that?
1: 100% agree with you. But it's yeah. something you don't really realize until you've gone through, you no. know, the intensive therapy that I went through to start realizing what it is that I was actually doing.
0: True. And I think you were so young too, because you got started really young with your businesses and you got started really young leaving your house. How old were you when you left your house?
1: Uh, I graduated high school at 17. I was, you know, I, I like to joke for my uh, graduation present, I was given a set of luggage.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. See,
1: uh, so I had to leave. So I went in the military. And I also like to joke that I was so angry and hated authority so much, I decided to join the military. <laughs>
0: And that that kind of backfired a little. It
1: backfired backfired a lot. (laughs) On the other hand, it was actually probably the best thing I could have done for myself because they gave me a little bit of discipline and, you know, helped push me in directions that I needed to go at that time.
0: Gave you a lot of structure too, which I think was missing. So that probably helped you like, this is how we structure our life. And it maybe, I, I don't know if we would ever say the military does that in a healthy way, but they certainly... Let you anticipate and expect what you have to bring to the table.
1: Exactly, you don't really have a choice.
0: Yeah, you don't have a choice. So you get to turn your feelings off too. Like I don't really care how you feel about that. You're going to show up. <laughs> <That's>
1: exactly right.
0: <laughs> so, so you were alone. And you were struggling, and you had to find it within yourself to go on for yourself. So, you went into the military, and you actually did uh, two services, which is really unique. Most people don't go into the Air Force and the Army. They, yeah, I, I really
1: wanted to fly at that age. I thought flying would be the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I tried, you know, I joined the Air Force, and I thought, well, maybe the Air Force will let me become a pilot. And unfortunately, the Air Force doesn't do that. You have to have a college degree. So after about four years, I learned that the army will allow you to become a pilot or a navigator without a college degree. And so I switched. I went over to the army and I was a right seat in what's called an OV1 Mohawk for another four years.
0: That's crazy. And so now you're a pilot yourself now. You just kind of fly yourself around whenever you want. I am.
1: Yes, I'm a private pilot. Yeah.
0: That's so crazy. Oh, my gosh, because I am terrified of flying, but that's fine. <laughs> so I have like- you know, I,
1: I've, I've taken so many people up who are terrified, and once we get up in the sky, they're like, wow, this is nothing. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Really? Was
1: not, really wasn't anything to be worried about.
0: Interesting. Okay, that's crazy. So maybe if we meet sometime after the worldwide zombie pandemic is over.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so but the point is that you were alone and you you were struggling what the thread of your story and i talked about this before is that you refused to stay down you just kept going you kept going so you get out of the army and then you get married and you guys don't have anything but you start these businesses i think it's crazy how you've come from less than zero to where you are today and that trajectory, because you just keep going. Like you don't know what's in front of you, but you just figure it out as you go.
1: Well, I, I like to joke two things. One, I didn't have anything to lose uh, because mm-hmm. we didn't have anything. And two, I was too <laughs> dumb. I was too dumb to know that I wasn't going to succeed.
0: Oh, I think it's and, so funny that you call yourself dumb because you're dumb as a fox. Dumb as just, a freaking fox. You seriously just
1: <laughs> lack of understanding that I had no shot. I did it anyway. Right. Maybe and sometimes that's, that's what you need. You just need to go do it.
0: You do. And I think you also need that information that um, you don't know what you don't know. And so then you go after it. It's kind of like those people, they have like really lofty goals and they're like, I am going to be a singer. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to go into this guy's office and be <laughs> like, you're going to do this. That You're breaking the rules even at your young age. So let's talk about that. You did not start working in your passion. You started working, just period, and paying attention to how other people were building their businesses, and then you jumped on board and said, let's do it.
1: Well, I didn't really have a passion at that age. When I, you know, When I got, I got married at 21, as I like to say, we were homeless, didn't have a car, and mm-hmm. didn't have a job. Who marries a guy with no car, no job, and no home? It's crazy. So we moved in with my grandmother and didn't have any idea what I was going to do. And uh, a friend called me and wanted to know if I wanted to be a landscape laborer. And I said, sure. So I went out and started mowing grass for four bucks an hour. But I'm a terrible employee. (laughs) I I really am a terrible employee. So I figured out within two weeks, you know, I could cut grass. I mean, how hard is that? So Mm -hmm. again, having no concept of this is really not a really a very good idea. I decided to start my own lawn, lawn care business. So I did.
0: And that's crazy. But you you started it when you realized what the owner was getting paid in comparison to what you were getting paid. So you did the math. And then sitting in the truck with your coworker who told you to mind your own business and just get back to work.
1: Yeah. Well, I was out there making 160 bucks a week. And you know the guy that owned the company wasn't even there with us. He was home in the air conditioning watching TV while we were out making money for him. And every night we'd go back to his house and hand him a bunch of checks. And then we go put the equipment away and the next day get up and do it again. And after about two weeks, I'm like, dude, I want to be the guy sitting home watching TV and the air conditioning. Why am I here killing myself for 10% of the money?
0: Okay. And I love that because it, it hinges on what you call ambitiously lazy. Exactly. So if, talk to us about what does that mean?
1: So, And I talk about this in in different senses from normal people to salespeople to business people. I I think at everyone's core, they're a bit lazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you look at a person's entire life, what is their goal? Their goal is to work for 60 years or 50 years, get to the age of 65 and then retire. So they can be lazy, right? That's your goal (laughs) as a human. Except I didn't want to wait that long. So I was willing to do a lot of work now so that I could create something that would pay me to not have to work so that I could be lazy today.
0: That is fantastic. So it's about leveraging your laziness, isn't it? Exactly, that's exactly (laughs) what
1: it is. And so many business owners don't understand that concept. They think they have to get out there and work, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week where I was willing to make less money if I had the opportunity to not have to actually be there every day doing the work. So I paid other people to do things that I could have done which bought me my freedom and bought me my time and allowed me to be lazy. And yet I still made money doing it.
0: Well, and I think it's frowned upon too. anybody, you know, especially in this kind of day and age with entrepreneurs springing up all over the place and you got to hustle and you got to grind and you never got to stop and all these things. And, and so people look at you like, they're a little ashamed of you. Oh, you want to be lazy? Oh, you want, you want to have these derogatory <laughs> qualities? But that is very true because whether you're working for yourself or whether you're working for someone else, the goal at the end of the day is like, oh man, I want to go home and Netflix. You know, yes. I want to and I want to go on and
1: vacation and, and I want you. to go do things with my, my spouse. You, you want to go have fun. Nobody yeah. wants to die thinking, God, I'm glad I went to work today.
0: No. <laughs> or I should I have worked harder. I should have spent yes. more time there. Unless Nobody's with family, exactly. maybe they will,
1: but for the majority, no.
0: So that's one thing that you talk about in your book, because you're also a natural comedian. Which um, what I love about you is that it's like you woke up and discovered that you had these gifts. You are funny. You are brilliant. You are innovative. But it's like you you lived in this this time or this era where you weren't exposed to that. It feels like upon Reading the book that you know once your life calmed down enough and you had the creature comforts and the needs handled, then you were able to pull back and look at your life and say, "Oh, I'm going to explore this, I'm going to discover this I'm going to try this. Do you think that's true
1: yeah, it, you know it it's a hundred percent true and and i've the way I would po- say it is this you know I spent. So many years, so many years, you know, you call it the 25 year overnight success, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. looks at you and go, oh my gosh, you were so successful. And you go, no, no, it's been 25 years, right? (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I had pictures on my refrigerator. I had a picture of a watch and a picture of a beach and a picture of a car and a picture of a house. And, you know, I I was that positive motivation, you know, kind of guy, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I spent, I spent so many years fighting and fighting and fighting with this goal in mind that I had to get to the point where I could kick back and go do those things and have some of those nice things. And from my perspective, and this is different for different people, when I finally reached that level, I almost – well, I tried to quit working several times. I just quit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quit because I was a billionaire. I didn't quit because I was the richest guy I knew. I don't have Ferraris in my garage. you know. I don't have a mansion. But I have enough – to take care of the things I want to do in life and, the, and my family and my children. And I don't have to go to work. Those are the things that were important to me over continuing to, you know, in what we call the accumulation phase. So when I hit that level, it was almost like my brain almost turned off and said, okay, you've hit the level you need to be at. You've reached this level of success. You don't have to do that anymore. No. And when I didn't have to do that anymore, I was able to start going out and, you know, I became a dive master and I became a pilot and started climbing mountains and started doing all kinds of crazy things that, you know, people always talk about one day I'm going to do, but then they never do it.
0: And you've done it.
1: I've spent 10 years just roaming the earth and and doing some of the coolest things ever and walked the Great Wall of China and been on a safari and dove with great white sharks and, you know, all those crazy things. people And I swam Alcatraz and ran triathlons and, Just went out and lived.
0: Yeah, that's sometimes you just gotta live. The Alcatraz thing, though, I do think you were probably clinically insane at the time. I've been (laughs) out there and you swim, (laughs) and I felt like it was kind of a long boat ride. But you swam the dang thing amid sharks.
1: And I'm a terrible swimmer, but oh, perfect! You just get out there and and you go. (laughs) And, and, and the funny story is they, they tell you when they drop you in the water, they're going to have these lifeguards and wave runners behind the whole pack. There were 800 of us and anybody who straggled, they would grab you, throw you on the wave runner, pull you forward and put you back in the water. And I can tell you halfway across the bay, a wave runner pulled up to me and I started yelling at him like, you get away from me. I have trained for this. There's absolutely no way I'm cheating. And so I started swimming as fast as I could, even though I was absolutely dying until the guy drove the wave runner away. And then I went back to, you know, oh my God, I think I'm going to die out here. But I finished.
0: <laughs> she had those mad moments. Of you just don't confidence. stop. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. You just don't stop. That's your, that is the theme of your life. You don't stop. So what you did was building up from that landscaping company. How did you get from a landscaping company to having created or co-created six businesses that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars that is one hell of a trajectory
1: uh as i like to say pure luck so uh from landscaping i had a friend who was selling insurance and he literally was trying to talk me into selling insurance with him and i was i just kept telling him no i've sold used cars we were in the amway business together i'm not selling insurance Okay, just I'm not going down the insurance road with a trench coat and a briefcase and you know, one of those (laughs) funny hats.
0: Needle nose Ned.
1: Needle nose Ned, exactly. (laughs) But finally, he was making so much money, he convinced me to try it and I did it. Well, once we got into the insurance business, I started figuring out a better way to do it. Created the very first insurance call center in America that was selling health insurance over the phone without face to face. We were the very first one and then ended up selling that in the dot com boom in 1999. And so that's what kind of got it kicked off. And then two years later we started another online company and sold it two years after that. And, and interestingly enough, in in the world of business and finance and venture capital and private equity, once you've sold two businesses, everybody thinks you're a frickin' genius. Well, fact, there's a book, there's a book by Peter Thiel called once you're good, uh, once you're lucky twice you're good. I love that book. Oh, and I did it twice, and so all of a sudden I became an expert, and people started paying me huge sums of money to come consult for them and tell them what they were doing wrong, having no idea that three years ago I was probably mowing their grass.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So what's the biggest check that you ever got?
1: Uh, we sold the company in 2003. It was an $80 million total deal. There were five partners. I, I made, I don't know, 10 or $12 million that year. Okay. Uh, that was a big one.
0: So you could either like play the lottery or create it because that's essentially what it is. You hear about people who they all go in on one big ticket, right? When the, when the pot's still going or whatever, that's pretty much what happened to you, but with business.
1: Yeah. And we had another business we own. We sold a year after that. And that was another like $8 million sale, I think. Um, and we, you know, I, I have the five partners Two of us were really smart with the money and three weren't. So we basically, I took all the money, put it in tax-free municipal bonds, and it generated a tax-free lifetime income for me. And I could never work again and just live off of that, which is the smartest thing you can do if you ever hit the lottery, so to speak, is secure your future. But that's in book two.
0: It is. It is in book two that you're working on right now because what people don't know is that not only did you hammer out book one, and I'll say hammer, but it took you a number of years. It was kind of a fits and starts situation and you have to write when you're not home. So I think that's also an interesting piece of it. But as soon as that book was done, I mean, you were ready with the next manuscript.
1: I literally finished book one while I was in Park City Skiing last February, finished it, went to dinner, sat there at dinner and thought, I think I can write another book. <laughs> I'm not And done. I, got, I got my iPhone out, <laughs> went to the notes section, and while I was eating my pulled pork sandwich, I had within 20 minutes, I had 100 topics written down in my, in my phone. So That's uh, the next book just flowed out pretty easily.
0: So let me ask you, do you think it's innovation or do you think it's observation when it comes to capitalizing on opportunity, because you were in the dot-com boom. Did you have to kind of sit back and see what was missing? Were you using kind of traditional marketing to discover niches that needed to be filled? What, what happened that gave you this illumination, like we need to go there, we need to do this, this is going to be successful?
1: It's, it's about being ambitiously lazy. That's exactly what it is. So as we like to say, luck is a combination of opportunity meets preparedness, right? Yes. You have to be prepared, but then you have to have the opportunity. But if you have to have the, if you have the opportunity and you're not prepared, you're not going to be able to capitalize on it. That's very So true. my first, op- my first company we sold in venture capital was in the insurance business. And when I was doing that, we were literally having to go out and, and drive to people's houses to sell them insurance. And I just thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And there had to be a better way to do it. And so yeah. we created one. And so then we ended up selling that company, you know, a year later. And then we got into the next company, the internet marketing company. And we just we had companies trying to do to sell their products online. And we had people that we call publishers over here trying to find companies. And we just decided to stick ourselves in the middle and say, hey if you have a product, we'll build a marketing program around it. And if you want to sell the product, we'll give you all of our marketing stuff. And you guys just cut us in for a little bit in the middle. Oh,
0: that's and they awesome. thought that was a
1: great idea. And so next thing you know, we're pushing out 10,000 transactions a day, making eight to $10 per transaction.
0: That's crazy. That that's starts
1: crazy. adding up pretty quick.
0: It does add up. And it, you know, is that where people go wrong? Do you think that they, do you think they look at their business and they say, well, I don't really make a lot. But they're not, so they, they focused on higher ticket priced items that are harder to sell.
1: No. And again, we're going to, this will push into book two, but I'm going to tell you that, that I can run a company and never step foot in the door. Yeah. Because running a company is about running a profit and loss statement or a P&L. If you understand the numbers of your business, the minutia is irrelevant. As I like to say, I own six restaurants today. I don't know how to make drinks. I don't know mm-hmm. how to cook. Mm-hmm. I I could not walk in there and put an order in the system. I know nothing about what happens inside those doors. And yet I can run all six companies sitting here on my phone in wherever city I'm in because I run them off of a profit and loss statement, off of a P&L. I know what the percentages are, I know what everything, I know where every number should be based on a trend by line item, and if you can spot the problems in the trends, you can spot the problems in your business. So um it's really about understanding the numbers more than it is about understanding how to run a specific business.
0: So if you're struggling with scaling, one thing you might be struggling with is letting go or staying too emotional to the business because you... Way
1: mean- too many owners of businesses think that they are the end-all be-all okay. and they're not. Again, yeah. we're pushing into the second one, but you've got to find people that are better at the things that need done than you are. And when you find those people, let them do their job.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And if you do
1: that, you will get to take advantage of their knowledge and their expertise, which will make everybody more money, including you, and will also buy you time and buy your life back.
0: That's crazy. So, where you are today and looking back and writing this book. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now. And I think the the time for the release of this book is optimal because there are a lot of people right now who are struggling. And there are a lot of people right now who don't have anyone. They feel alone. What message do you have for them?
1: There are so many businesses out there that are failing today. You know, they, they talk about 30% of businesses are going to go under. The challenge is most of those businesses were running on the bleeding edge prior to the pandemic, and mm-hmm. they were literally successful or marginally successful because America was in a gluttonous phase of you can almost just go do it and, and survive. And what's happening in this pandemic is we're getting a cleansing of the weaker businesses uh, that, are getting, that are getting washed out. The problem with most of these businesses is the owners don't understand how to run a business, okay? Yeah. Most people that start businesses think, and again, I call this the Joe the Plumber uh, syndrome. I'm Joe the Plumber. I'm the guy that does the plumbing, therefore I can run a business. And -hmm. that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Just Mm -hmm. because you know how to do plumbing doesn't mean you can run a plumbing business. Just because you can, in a restaurant, you can cook or bartend or run a floor, as we say, doesn't mean you can run a business. Pick any business just because you can be the specialist or the operator or the person doing it doesn't mean you know how to run a business. So if your business is suffering, you need to find somebody that can help you look at the business from a different point of view. They can teach you how to run a P&L. They can show you where your weakness is. They can tell you if you've been sucked into a vision that isn't necessarily a vision that's going to work. I've also seen that a lot.
0: Yeah, because you have, get- oh, you've consulted with some major major companies also some private companies and being able to help them identify what they need to do and where they need to
1: pivot sure i I gave you a great example there's there's a very very nice lady uh i'll give you two A very nice lady in this complex here in the town i live in and she had this we have this farmer's market every week and her her pies were the best pies you've ever put in your mouth they're amazing and everybody told her you need to start your own business so what does she do? She goes and spends $150,000 to build out one of these retail spots in our complex and opens a pie shop selling pies for $5 to $10. No way she's going to make it.
0: That just does. not going to happen. Wow. She
1: got sucked into a vision of my mm-hmm. pies are the best and therefore I can run a business and that just isn't going to work.
0: Wow. What happened Secondarily, to
1: Secondarily. Uh, well now we're in a pandemic and the pie shop was shut down for a couple of months. The problem is again, when you go into these businesses, if you don't know what you're doing, I promise you, she signed a five-year personal guarantee on the lease and now she's going to be out several hundred thousand dollars if she closes down. The lady right next to her shop owns a smoothie shop and she bought a franchise and again, spent a couple hundred thousand building it. She's a retired teacher. And she thought she would, you know, go into the franchise show and just gonna kind of start a business and it'd be so easy. She has no idea what she's doing.
0: And that's horrible. And
1: now she's just she's loose. She 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 wants out. She can't get out because she's locked into these agreements. Too many people don't understand business. Yeah. And they need somebody to help them who does. That's just
0: you have an unfortunately, innate the way it works. Yeah, you and you have an innate wisdom about business though. Because I failed
1: so many times. I can tell you what you're doing wrong. Yeah. You only, you're only talking about the good ones. I've lost truckloads of money in businesses over the past 30 years. I've made so many mistakes. I've been sued. I've lost everything. I've made so many mistakes. I can tell you what you're doing wrong as well as doing things right to tell you what you're doing. Right. It's, 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 it's experience.
0: So it's, when you think about that, do you think to be successful that you have to get right with failure in your mind and even losing truckloads of business, you have to get to the point where it's like, well, that's just, that's just how it goes. And that's well, something as I good to- as I,
1: listen, of all the business successes I had over the past, you know, 30 years, the business that I have now are these six restaurants, which sounds really awesome. We're a $10 million company, but here's the secret. I'm six for 12.
0: Yeah. Wow, That
1: means I've started 12 and six failed to get the six that we have now that are successful. And that's me who knows a lot about how to do something in the business world. And yet sometimes it just doesn't work.
0: Give me an example. You got to
1: fail. Yeah. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. When I first got in the restaurant business, I bought a restaurant that was doing really well. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, holy cow, I'm a genius. I must know how to run restaurants. I'm going to go build one. (laughs) Because, you know, some it's like a stock market's going up. Everybody thinks they're a financial genius, right? Yeah, true. You buy a successful business restaurant, you think you're suddenly a restaurateur. So we went and bought one. Lo and behold, we learned that in the restaurant business, you're either a brand, like like an Outback, or you're a destination, which is where people are going to go anyway. If you're not either one of those, your chances of success are super, super slim. Yeah. And we spent 250000 opening it. I lost 100000 a year for two years. And then I sold it for eighty grand. So that's a $380,000 loss.
0: Yikes. Yeah.
1: I bought another one. And I thought, well, well, my first brand is really good. I'm going to change the, the name on this restaurant to my other restaurant name. As soon as we switched the brand, sales dropped 60%. And I lost 180000 over the next six months before I closed it. I learned. Yeah. Don't, don't change the name. Don't change the model and you're not really that smart
0: but you seem to have yeah you seem to have a buoyant mindset though like you just kind of bounce back you just like well that happened it's catastrophic and then you bounce back how are you bouncing back like that what are you what is your mindset especially because you talked about struggling with anger I would think somebody who's who's angry would be like, well, screw this. I'm not doing this. This isn't going to work and I don't want to lose anymore. But you keep going. Why, why do you keep going?
1: Well, I, 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 this is going to be a little longer answer. In the beginning, because I had nothing to lose
0: mm-hmm. and I was
1: desperate. If you have nothing to lose and you're desperate, then you just keep going because you have no choice, right? Today, uh, two things. Number one, I have enough money that, a failure isn't going to affect my life. So if this failure doesn't affect my life and I'm only spending money out of income and not assets, then it does. Yes. I want to succeed. But if I fail, okay, I don't have to sell the car. My Mm. kids are still going to go to college. But more importantly, I will tell you that is, as I look back over the, my life from beginning to today and I can track this literally every time I've had a major issue in my life go wrong and something fell apart and the wheels came off the bus and you you look at it and you think oh my god this is the end it literally turned into something better down the road every single time now whether that's pure happenstance or if it's because I ended up making it work at a better level down the road I don't know the answer to that but in every case something better came out of it so literally For the past 10, 15 years, every time something goes wrong in my mind, I just go, okay, well, this was bad, but I'm learning and something better will come of it. I don't know what it is yet, but every single time it has, so I'm not going to get terribly excited.
0: That's amazing. That's an incredible mindset. And I think it's just the powers of your observation. That's what I think your superpower is, is observation. That's (laughs) what I've decided that. Through the end of this this podcast, so what is the best thing a brand new entrepreneur can do right now today, especially if we're talking about because the majority of the audience is they're chronically ill, they have a chronic illness or more illnesses, and uh, they may have a disability as well, and they're starting a business, a lot of them don't have a choice with the economic state of things. Um, what do you think they can do just to put that best foot forward?
1: Um, here's my answer to that. And, and a friend of mine once told me, would you rather be the captain of a rowboat or the first mate on a battleship? Mm. Some people would rather be the captain of a rowboat, and that's fine if that's what you want. But in some, some cases, sometimes I've made more money with partners than I ever did on my own. Sometimes you either need to bring in a partner who can be the strength where you're weak or bring in somebody else who has the knowledge you need to help you get the thing going and get it to scale so that it will provide for you what you wanted to provide. Too many people think that they have all the answers or they will figure it out, and that is their first mistake
0: yeah, that's amazing and they and they absolutely do They get very possessive over their yep. business, yep and it's so both
1: their first mistake and their last because they generally don't make it
0: so bring in somebody who has expertise in the field and have them look at the business model or the structure to make sure it's sound and then they're kind of, they're directing you. They're saying, and you do this and this person does this and this person does this.
1: Either bring in a partner who can do it for you, which is good because then you don't have to pay them or bring in somebody who is willing to consult for you or help you, but whatever you do, make sure it's somebody that, as I say in book two, has had the success and has a success filter because the worst thing you can do is get advice from somebody who has no idea what they're talking about.
0: Yeah. So don't go to even your parents who don't have, if they don't, if they don't have the frame of reference or they don't have the experience having run a successful business. And I think it's important too, to talk about the difference in industries so just because somebody's advising you on a marketing company over here doesn't mean that same person should be advising you on a restaurant.
1: Um, yes and no, it depends on the the area of advice you're getting. Uh, mm-hmm. As I like to say, if you know how to run a business, then you know how to run a business.
0: Okay, really. So there
1: there is that. Yes, I mean if you look at again, look at my look at myself. I went from landscaping to insurance to software to restaurants to you know. Running a business is running a business. There's, that's, a, that's a different set than having somebody come in and teach you how to, and let's look at restaurants again. I've, I hire people to come in and teach my bartenders how to make fancy drinks. They don't teach us how to run a p and I hire people to come in and, and show us how to manage our POS system better. Mm-hmm. Or they teach my managers how to manage their people better. That's a totally different skill set than somebody come in and say, now let's look at your business from the numbers, from the bottom up.
0: That's true. So you could apply that across any industry, then, as long as you're looking at the
1: numbers. Correct.
0: Okay. So let's talk about your second book as we close out How to Succeed in Business with No Money, No Education, and No Clue. First, I want to tell you you have a natural gift for naming books. So you should maybe look for a job titling things. I don't know. Maybe you can name lipsticks or different. different. I don't know. <laughs> but you're really I good.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's going to translate. That's just my life. So, you know, both of these books, the reason they were so easy to write is because A, I'm a natural storyteller. B, mm-hmm. I've done sales training for 25 years. And so I've stood in front of tens to hundreds of people and told these stories and, and taught and trained them how to do the things that I'm, I'm trying to get them to accomplish. So to me, I'm not even thinking when I write these, it just, just kind of comes out because I've said it so many times.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So your second book is predicated on business success and failures. I mean, you, you let people know right from the get go that, hey, I am going to rip the lid off of my failures. I'm going to tell you what I did wrong. And I'm going to tell you how I recovered from that. So it feels like you're almost breaking a business stigma too, because a lot of people present the shiny, you know, oh, it's yep. so shiny. And I did this and here's my accomplishments. And you're saying we need to fail.
1: Without a question, if you've only had success, then you're not going to know how to handle yourself when the S hits the fan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's
1: when you're going to determine whether you're going to succeed or fail in life. Yeah. It's like I said before, everybody's a financial genius when the stock market's going up. Everybody's <laughs> a business genius when their business is successful. What happens when the wheels come off the bus? Yes. How are you going to handle it? What are you going to do? Are you going to make it? Can you survive? Do you even know how to survive in that environment? This is why most people are all these. This thirty percent of businesses that are failing right now—that's why they're failing. They don't know how to handle the downtime.
0: They're folding, yeah. yeah. And is this a pandemic thing, or is it because they didn't proof themselves?
1: The so pandemic did- is an accelerator of what was already a bad business.
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah.
1: what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, they. I, it, it reminds me of people used to say, you know. Uh, money doesn't change your personality. It enhances it. If you're a nice guy before, you're going to be a nice guy after. If you are not a nice person before, you're going to be even worse.
0: Yeah, And this,
1: this pandemic is accelerating what would be the eventual failure of a lot of weak businesses to start with. It's just an accelerator.
0: So you just get, you have to plan for it, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's something else. When you're running your business, you have to plan for it. And you have to work for the future, even if—even yes. if you're reveling in the present, like everything's going so great right now. I don't need to do anything. Let me just take my foot off the accelerator and coast. And you really can't do that in a
1: business. We talk—I talk about this a fair amount in different sections. You know, we talk about cash as king, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say, well, I have a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, but I have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Mm-hmm. versus I have no debt and no money in the bank. Which yeah. one would you rather have?
0: Well, I think we know well, the answer to that.
1: Well, because you can't go to the grocery store and say, hey, um, I need to buy some groceries. I don't have any money, but I have yeah. no debt.
0: Yeah, you got, you got no
1: money, you got no groceries, right?
0: Yeah, you got and no life.
1: <laughs> you got nothing. So yeah. debt is not bad if you have cash in the bank. So th- there's there's a balance there.
0: Yeah. People, absolutely, they have a, um, a pre-existing mindset about debt and how it's so negative and just get rid of it, get rid of it. But there's a, a little bit of debt can be healthy, even a if lot of debt can if be If you're healthy.
1: managing it properly, you know, again, yeah. I use that same example of, of Apple. Apple's got $250 billion in the bank, and yet they sold $7 billion worth of bonds to put more cash in the bank. Why would they do that? Yeah, I would
0: because they makes no sense. Yeah. But but
1: they're, they're getting two and a half percent. They're paying two and a half percent on a bond, but their stock went up 20%. Thanks. That's not a bad deal. (laughs) No, you know, we, we talk about cash as King. We talk about paying yourself first. The worst thing you can do in business is be a martyr. You know what a martyr is. I'm just going to sacrifice everything for the business. I'm going to sacrifice my personal time, my life. I'm not going to take a salary. I'm going to, you know, live on, on, on ramen noodles and crackers. That's just crazy. Oh, and the first yeah. bump in the road, you're going under. You got to take care of yourself.
0: The martyr is resentful too. So I've never met a happy martyr. Have you?
1: A martyr is not successful. That's why they're called a martyr.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because they went down.
0: Well, Brian, amazing conversation with you today. I'm so excited for your book that's coming out tomorrow, people. Um, When I say tomorrow, of course, this episode won't air until probably a couple weeks from now. But make sure that you run out and get his book. Your book is amazing. Um, It's called I Give the Dumb Kids Hope. And of course, um, (laughs) it makes me crack up every time. And every time I share that title with people, they crack up too. And they're like, huh, what? I want to read that. So Um, absolutely phenomenal having you on the show today. And thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself to help other people.
1: Thanks for having me, Hillary. This was awesome. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you got it. Brian will refused to roll over in life. Despite not having direction or guidance, he tapped into some crazy talent and saw how far he could take it. He didn't let the fear of never having done anything before stop him. And he learned and failed a lot along the way. But this is why he has lasted in business. He didn't let lessons stop him from continuing on his success path. He kept exploring as he was learning. Now, he is an author of the very real, surreal, and hysterical book, I Give the Dumb Kid's Hope, Starting Life at Zero, and sharing his wisdom with business people who might be feeling a little stuck or lost. To get in touch with Brian, you can look him up On Facebook just check out Brian will you can also check him out on LinkedIn as we close today I want you to remember the name J Hill marketing and their book editing division bookmark proudly doing what the big pubs do for a fraction of the cost and without sacrificing quality isn't that what you want in a company anyway Of course it is. To learn more, check out jhillmark.com. That's J-H-I-L-L mark.com. That's it for today's episode of Sick Biz Buzz. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.